the club expects their golf pros and their assistant pros to make sure everything's perfect. We want a club pro that can play like Tiger, teach like Butch, uh, merchandise like Ralph Lauren, and tell jokes like Bob Hope. But it is absolutely the problem is the amount of pay for the amount of work doesn't mesh. For clubs, if you don't make these changes, you're not going to get the people you want. Your product is going to suffer. People are not going to want to come play there. They're going to go elsewhere, and you're eventually going to go out of business. Is Seth Waugh helping? He's the right guy in the driver's seat. But is there a vehicle he can drive that can make it any better? People are put on earth to make everybody's lives better, right? Like, how can you not want to be surrounded by those people, right? And um, and that's what a PGA professional is. You know, it's not perfect. We're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. We're moving the needle, um, making a lot of progress. And uh, I hope people are, are noticing it, but that's not the point either, right? The point is, is leaving the room better. And, and I'm going to keep fighting to do that every day. Another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Welcome to the Fire Pit with Matt Janella. We're back and not so fresh off what I would consider a wonky U.S. Open. Congrats to Wyndham Clark for what he pulled off. My condolences to Ricky and Rory for missing yet another opportunity to win a big one. As for LACC... I've said my piece on Twitter. I felt compelled to know more about the club and possibly play the course before watching all week. The way it was presented, what we heard about the rules and the membership, small crowds, the commandeering of tickets, which led to that lack of volume and energy. It was all a bit of a turnoff for me. But for a lot more on the U.S. Open, stories and podcasts by my colleagues Alan Shipnuck and Michael Bamberger, go to firepickcollective.com. As for this week, the women are at Baltus Rawl for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, a perfect time to wrap up this series on the Club Pro Crisis, especially considering my guest is Susie Whaley, who, in 2018, became the first female president of the PGA of America, a position she held for two years. Whaley is a dual member of the PGA of America and LPGA Teaching and Club Professional Division. She was an LPGA Tour member in 1990 and 1993. She is a two-time Connecticut PGA Teacher of the Year. She's a three-time Connecticut Women's Open Champion. And in 2003, at the Greater Hartford Open, she became the first woman since Babe Zaharias in 1945 to qualify for a PGA Tour event. A 1989 graduate of the University of North Carolina with a degree in economics. In 2015, Whaley received the Margot Didek Award from the WNBA's Connecticut Sun for her ability to engage, challenge, and inspire while serving as a role model. In 2016, she was inducted into the Greater Syracuse Sports Hall of Fame, and in 2017, she was honored with the Betsy Rawls Award from the American Junior Golf Association for her service, dedication, and contributions to women's golf. Whaley's husband, Bill, is also a PGA member, and they have two daughters, Jennifer and Kelly. Before we get to my uninterrupted conversation with Susie, I want to thank Dormy Workshop, my sponsor of this podcast. Dormy Workshop is an incredible golf family business based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where all they do is make quality leather head covers and accessories. I found the Bishop Brothers at the PGA Merchandise Show almost 10 years ago, I've been promoting their people and products ever since. Go to dormyworkshop.com and use promo code 
FIREPIT15 for 15% off your next purchase, or go to the pit shop at firepitcollective.com and order one of our dormy head covers or stash bags. And now, Susie Whaley and the conversation we had in April. What makes a good club pro? Look, there's 29,000 of us, right? And I always think of us as PGA professionals, which is just a vernacular, right? Because many of those PGA professionals don't actually work at a club. Uh, some of them work in manuf- for manufacturers. Some of them work in the media. Some of them work as engineers. Some of them work uh, it's across the board. So when you're talking about a club professional, I would say somebody who's actually physically going day in and day out to a facility um, that has a area where you check in to go play golf, you know, that's what I consider a club professional. And I think what makes a great golf professional is somebody who knows their customer, somebody who has a welcoming and inclusive environment that people want to return to. And I think when you accomplish that with any customer, you are being successful. What are the traits that great club pros have? They're diligent, they're loyal, they're service-hearted, they're task-oriented people, very detail-oriented. They're good players. They wouldn't be a PGA professional if they weren't a good player. They have to pass the PAT. They're typically friendly, high energy, and work extremely long hours without complaint. And so, you know, as you look at club professionals around the country and you you think of the jobs that they're doing, um, most of us are incredibly passionate about golf. We love the game or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. We probably grew up most often in the game, but I can't speak for all. Some of them have come in later in life as a second career, but I've worked at golf courses since I was 14 years old. And I just, I I truly can't imagine I was going to go to law school out of college thought that was going to be my path, ended up going to tour school, told my parents, you know what, I'm not going to go to law school, I'm going to go to tour school, Um, took a right turn and and actually got on tour somehow, made it through tour school. Um, And it changed my life forever. But when I think about it, and and I have to think I relate to so many others like me, I don't want to talk for them. But I I can't imagine being inside. Uh, I can't imagine being behind a desk. I love being outside. I love people. I love interacting on a day-to-day with people. I love people who love golf, even if they're terrible at it. You know, I mean, it's just, for me, um, it gives me great joy. So I also think really good club professionals are people who like what they do. The word crisis, as it relates to club pros, meaning trying to make sure there's a, a feeder system of people who are willing to do this job for the hours it requires for the amount of pay that is kind of is the is kind of the model right now would you say there is you know that word crisis is that accurate what's your perspective on sort of the state of this industry as it relates to kind of making sure we have people that are willing to kind of keep coming and keep taking these positions and roles and keep you know being successful Yeah, no, I I wouldn't call it a crisis. So, you know, I I think that certainly what we're in is a time that nobody else has ever experienced, right? So we had this pandemic and I certainly didn't think I would ever live through a pandemic. I'm sure most people didn't. And what it turned into was when the pandemic hit, we had literally 29,000 people out of work. Um, I happened to be president of the association at the time when you get the call that work is over, everybody go home. And then the first thing you think of is, you know, calling your CEO and your board and saying, okay, we have to pivot as quickly as possible. How are we going to help our PGA professionals? So was that a crisis? A hundred percent. 
because we had people out of work. And at the time, there was no subsidies from the government. We knew golf courses were closing instantaneously. We knew jobs were at jeopardy. If the manufacturers couldn't produce and couldn't work, we didn't have people with equipment. Um, so we pivoted from every one of our strategies right to how do we help our membership? That's who we are. That's what we do. That's why we're an association. And what do we need? What do we do first? And then secondly was how do we get golf courses open as quickly as possible? And how do we convince government and legislature that we can do it in a responsible way and keep people safe? And we couldn't promise that, but we could promise that we could have PGA professionals literally delivering facilities in a responsible manner as they saw fit with the CDC. That took an enormous Herculean effort to get golf courses back open and to convince cities, states, and counties to do it. Because you might have one county that was 20 miles away from another, one's open and one's not. And so when we finally wrapped our arms around that alongside the other allies, we certainly didn't do it by ourselves. We had everybody uh, in Washington. Um, when, when we had the opportunity to get people back to work, alongside of being really thankful for the subsidies that were delivered to anybody that was out of work, we also started a golf relief fund. And we, I feel, I can't, you know, there were certainly were people who suffered through this, so I don't want to sound like we helped everybody, but we averted a crisis for our membership, which I'm proud to have been a part of. But again, it was a group effort to do that. I think what occurred then to your point from earlier is people started falling in love with golf. Those that played golf and always loved it just played more. Those that had left it were like, well, gosh, I got to get outside. I got to go do something. You know what? Let's dust off the clubs and get back to it. Maybe they left because of illness or family or whatever, child responsibilities, job changes. And then we had people who never played the game say, well, gosh, at least we can go do that. <laughs> you know, Let's give that a try. And, and it, the golf just flat exploded. We had more juniors. We still have more juniors than we've ever had. I think the last research that came out, uh, by the National Golf Foundation a couple weeks ago, and I may be off on my weeks, but was now we have actually more off-course golfers than we even have on-course golfers, which is 26.5 million. So we have double plus that in off-course. So golf is just in an unbelievable place right now where tee sheets are full, people are happy, and families are playing the game like we've always wanted forever. I think where things got askew and where some articles have shared what's happening is while facilities have less team, meaning less people on the ground, they are working double hours. And during COVID, I think most of our professionals willingly did that. We understood that we were giving people a respite. And, re and remember, like mo most of us really want to give back to our communities. That's why we do what we do. And we felt really strongly that we were doing that in a unbelievable way and i think we went home feeling really good about ourselves like we got to see people every day which i think was a gift for us uh, and for our mental health but we also got to see people getting outside and enjoying it and maybe if we gave them a little bit of joy in their day during this incredibly scary time um, we were doing the right thing but what that turned into was a um, perception that we were able to keep those hours going that we could work very long hours, seven days a week with smaller teams and with the same amount of, of club participants, if not more than we had had prior. And so it turned into this really enormous uh, balance um, that was getting out of balance. Crisis, I would say no, but it's taken us still, um, and I say that loosely, us being PGA professionals and leadership, 
to educate boards, to educate facilities, to educate municipalities, um, to educate consumers as to what's going on. And while revenues are increasing at facilities because of golf's participation dramatically, many facilities are using those revenue increases for capital expenditures. And I, I happen to believe that your human capital is your best capital. So where I see an issue is, all right, let's let's help build these teams back. Let's help compensate the PGA professionals that are in these seats that are delivering these opportunities. And let's use some of the revenues that we've actually been enhanced by um, to do that. And you take care of your human capital. I think your business runs better. There's like this work-life balance, an awareness issue, COVID, you know, demand, and 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 at the end of the day, that you guys are an, an association, but you're not a union, right? So it's like they're still pretty splintered. So to fix all of that takes time and and communication. Is that a fair assessment? I think it does, and it, it does take education. It just takes reminding people. You know, I think what was if there was something good about COVID was certainly golf's surge, but also the fact that people were able to be home with their families more, and we were home with our families less. Far less. And I, I just think when people think about it for a second, and so let's say your golf professional isn't there on a Friday morning, what would happen typically is they people would say, where were you? You know, you weren't even here on Friday. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I've been here the last 68 days in a row. And I needed to, you know, go home and or get, you know, go to a doctor's appointment or, or I needed to handle something in my, you know, my family's life. But it wasn't, I don't, I really believe this. It wasn't, it's not an intentional aggression against what we do or what we're doing. It just became a habit for consumers to always have that availability. And the one place they could go for that sanctuary was their golf facility. And that's what we've always wanted. We've always wanted people to feel like this was their community. We want you to feel like this is a safe place, your home. We want you to be there. And, and I want to be there for you. But what got lost in the mix was um, we trained, we trained the golf world that we were going to be there twenty four seven. And I just think when you explain it to people in a way um, like that, whether it's your board of directors, your managers, your town managers, your owner, um, and you say, you know, look, I I love what I do, and I'm passionate about what I do, but I but I also have other things in my life that I have to handle so I can be better for you on the property. And, and here's the following. And I think what we're trying to do and the association is trying to do is educate the leadership at clubs to educate municipalities. We're not complaining. We are not whining about it. And I mean that sincerely. It's just, let's just talk about what is possible for a PGA professional to actually be the best PGA professional they can be at your facility. And let's make sure we're, we're balancing that with, with what we know we can and can't do. We know there's massive growth as it relates to women coming to the game, mm -hmm. playing the game. Is that also translating? Is it too soon to understand if that's going to also result in a surge in women's leadership roles within the mm -hmm. game as it relates to club pros and positions of of impact uh, beyond people like yourself? I mean, yeah, I'm excited to see the growth in play. Um, so women's play is dramatically up women, uh, the amount of beginners that are learning the game, I think close to, I don't have my numbers correct, but it's over 50% of them are women. 
And what's really exciting is in the junior space, 35% are girls. Mm. So when you think about all that data, 35% certainly not being where we'd like it to be. I mean, look, at, I want it at 51. <laughs> okay, let's just... <laughs> but we're, we're you want to be one up. up. Every golfer that's wants to I'm, be that's one up. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm headed. And, uh, but, you know, you think about that for where we used to be in 2010, right? We've, we, I mean, we're talking about massive growth. And, and that's exciting. 10 years from now, I think golf will look extremely different than it does today because of that junior growth and because of new growth amongst women. I think amongst our PGA professionals and LPGA professionals, so there's about, and again, don't quote me on these numbers, there's about 2,000 LPGA professionals, but that's global. There are some in Asia as well. I'm a dual member. I'm a member of the LPGA and I'm a member of the PGA of America. We're about, we're getting, we're nearing 5% in the PGA of America. So you think about 5% and that's, that's abysmal. Right. So, you know, we've put in places intentional and actionable steps to try to increase those numbers and to showcase what golf's all about. We're an $86 billion industry. And there are many facets of this industry that women can be a part of. I, I highlighted an engineer who, a female engineer, the stealth driver for TaylorMade. And, you know, I think as we think about roles in golf for women, I think oftentimes, and again, not unintentional, but people just think of us as coaches, right? They think of women, they think, oh, you must teach the juniors, right? And I love teaching the juniors. I love teaching women. I love teaching men. I am a coach at heart. I love it. But not all women want to coach. Mm. Women want to be owners and operators and directors of golf and tournament operators and rules officials and run manufacturing companies, which they are doing. But we don't hear about it very often. And so I do believe that if you could see it, you can be it. And I think as we showcase the My Journey app just came out, which is really cool that we're using it at the PGA of America. I'm one of the mentors on it. So are multiple other women in golf. And I think when people can see different avenues and different tracks, we will have an opportunity to gain more traction amongst women instead of them just thinking they're pigeonholed into one particular entity of the golf business. They want to be a coach. We have every platform possible to allow them to do that. But I think we have to think about it in a different way and sort of clubs. You know, men are still the employers at most clubs, backed, and people typically hire who they look like, right? And we need more women promoted. We need more women elevated. And we need more clubs to think about women running their facilities, um, not just as general managers, but in head golf professionals positions and directors of golf. Um, that's not a lot. We have some. You know, we have some directors of instructions at high-end clubs, Joanna Coe's at Marion, Kathy Kim's at Baltimore. I mean, we, we're, you know, little by little, you're starting to see those opportunities happen. We have GMs that are females, um, but it's, it's woefully, woefully and painfully behind. So we put in recruiting efforts at the PGA of America at the collegiate level. Um, where we're showcasing to these young women, look, if you choose not to play, we encourage you to, but if you choose not to play and use that as your career, we would love to have you as a part of our industry and let us share with you some of the opportunities that exist. And it's going to take us time. It's going to take us time to grow that, but we're, we're on it. Um, I know the leadership now, I'm not a part of that now, but I know the leadership now is, is committed to that. And we started programs like PGA lead to help women in governance um, so now we have presidents of sections that are women. We have boards of directors that are women in PGA of America governance. I'm proud of that. But we've got a long way to go. Seth Waugh, I, I say his name and and his commitment to the PGA of America, 
to the membership to trying to you know to trying to advance the ball um, leave the leave the world better than he found it so to speak as it relates to this this particular segment of of golf what are your thoughts on him and the impact he's having well i i cherish my time with seth i cherish working with him i was so fortunate to have somebody with his kind of experience in the seat when the pandemic hit uh somebody that was incredibly calm and steady at the helm uh, that could navigate it and be a really agile leader. I also think Seth truly wants to help PGA professionals in a way that's authentic and believes in their value and respects what we do. And I think as a leader, that's what you need to ask for. You need to ask for somebody who's actually leading people that they respect. And I've never felt with Seth in the room that um, being a golf professional was something I shouldn't be proud of. And I think that's made an enormous difference in what he's been able to accomplish. He has unbelievable connections within the game. We all know that. I think when you're thinking about a pandemic and hosting a PGA championship during a pandemic and making a phone call to the PGA Tour to change dates to help us manage that, maneuver that, get a new date on the calendar, those things don't happen without relationships um, and really strong relationships. When you think about the Ryder Cup, what we had to do to make that be an event still. Because um, remember, we had to move it. And there, it's not that easy to do in a tour calendar year and a tour schedule alongside a President's Cup. And people, I don't know that people um, need to understand that, but that was, again, a Herculean effort by all involved to make sure we still had a Ryder Cup. And the Ryder Cup really, truly is such a huge and enormous part of our association because it helps fund education, employment, every, everything we do for our members. Um, we need that event. And Seth, in my opinion, and our board and our staff, alongside of everybody, all of our partners, any of our worldwide partners, our domestic partners, all of those had to be talked to as we were trying to navigate these two enormous championships for our membership. So when you think about talking to a Cadillac or a BMW, you think about, okay, what, what do they think? Are they just going to pull? Do, can they hang in there with us? Can we be great partners and extend for three more years? I mean, all of those conversations had by our teams are why we are an association that's stronger, in my opinion, and, and even better today. And that's, that's thanks to Seth and the team he's put together and, and our board. Um, who literally was a part of that every day. This idea of unionizing in some way, shape, or form, is that is that just really unrealistic and not worth a lot of time or energy? It, 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 you know, some of these other things that you have mentioned, programs, incentivizing awareness, education, information, unionizing you know i've asked pretty much everybody i've interviewed as a way of kind of wrapping your arms around the industry and it, it just but it doesn't seem like it's even remotely possible to me i don't know you yeah i i don't think it is but i, I rarely say things like that because i think anything is possible you know if you kind of figure it out so i you know i'm not gonna say it's not possible i'm just gonna say that i don't think it would be fortuitous for our for our members i i don't think it would be the right play mm -hmm. um, but that's my personal opinion that's not a governance opinion or the pga of america's opinion I, you know i'm a huge believer in people being able to capitalize on their strengths and on what they do best 
And I think when you put people into a box of a certain requirement and a certain amount of hours, I think, I think you, you maybe stifle people. And I, I think we have a lot of incredibly talented golf professionals who are in multiple lanes. And then we have golf professionals who are in the same lane their whole career and love it. And, and there's nothing wrong with either space, right? But I would want, to, I would want facilities and professionals to be able to grow um, and do it in a sense that they both felt productive doing it without being hampered by rules and regulations that we imposed, that the PGA of America imposed. Your energy and passion and the way you articulate yourself and, you know, you had, you said you have to see it before, you know, if you see it, you can feel like you can be it. I mean, you must, I mean, the, you, your timing, your role as president uh, during that time, sh- working with people like Seth, managing the, you know, your, you've got platforms, you've got relationships. I mean, you, you really have a full set of 14 clubs that you can hit like to make a difference. <laughs> Does it feel like the stars have aligned for you specifically, Susie Whaley, to actually really have the kind of impact that you have already have and are going to continue to? I mean, you seem like you are relentlessly uh, <laughs> in pursuit of making a difference. Well, I so I appreciate that very much. I never thought about that. Fourteen clubs. I don't know. I, I feel like maybe half a set. <laughs> you know? um, I don't know. I don't know how to go straight to fourteen. I think you always have something to learn, and there's no way you got it all down, right? I mean, every time I go to a teaching summit, I think I got it down. I'm like, heck yeah, I know what I'm doing. I I, I can teach anybody, and I go to teaching summit, and I get in the car, I'm like, I know absolutely nothing. I have learned nothing in the thirty years that I have taught golf, and I have to think about it like for another week. I mean, I'm constantly taking classes i i you know i i just subscribe to i i hang out with people that are just much smarter than i am right and and that that's like the way to be successful (laughs) it doesn't mean i don't learn and try to be smart but i try to find people in my world who teach me something who who absolutely have way more knowledge than i do in the space and my time spent with the pga of america as a leader i can say absolutely it helped me become a better leader um and you know in the beginning you just you know you think you know what you're doing and then you realize how many other micro little things need to be managed and handled and how to integrate with staff and then how to make sure you're telling your constituency and communicating to them on a basis that they feel part of it and there were times i didn't do that well mm-hmm. and there were times where i did do that well and i think from that you learn like what you just said in the beginning where oh, gosh i made this error I, this is what I said, and that certainly wasn't intentional. I think every leader, anybody that's out in public, that happens to. You. I think I think what you have to turn to is okay, and it sounds so cliche, but like, all right, I screwed that up. You know, what do we learn from it? How, what did I miss? How did I miss it? And how do I make sure I don't miss it again? And then I, I think to the other side of that is um, when I say only have a half a set. You know, I really feel like I'm in the beginning of my career. I know that sounds really strange. But I feel like I'm in the beginning of my career because I think I'm at a point in my life and my experiences and my age where I've had it. I've had it. And I have a platform to talk about it in a respectful way, understanding the history of the game and the culture of the game. You know, I get it. I get where we are today and I'm proud of the progress that's been made in golf and where we're headed. I'm proud of the fact that we are super popular but I want to know where the heck we're going. I want to know how we're going to do it better. And I want to be a part of that conversation. And so when you say, do I have 14? 
I don't feel like I've even started. Um, and I'm ready. I'm ready for that next challenge. When you're saying all that, are you are you directly referring to women? Or are you referring to women in golf? Are you referring to women in golf? Or are you referring to PGA, you know, PGA pros? Are you like, or is it kind of all of it? Like you want? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You just forgot the media. <laughs> that exactly. is the bucket in there too. And yeah. um, and again, I, I look at this. It's not a. It's not a. It, it's something that I'm passionate about. It's not something that I'm saying negatively. It's just, I think, you know, I think a lot of us are just tired of saying we're grateful for the opportunity. And yeah, that's where women come in, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with hearing about why don't more people watch the LPGA? Well, where are we supposed to watch them? You know, where, where are they? Where are we seeing them? I mean, I, if you look in the paper, it won't, if they're in it, if you look in any digital publication, not the paper, that's how old I am, any digital publication, right? Any, any Twitter feed, I mean, does anybody know who won the last three LPGA events? Like, like honestly, like it's, it's, it's actually appalling to me. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily intentional. I just think it's our culture in the game that needs to be changed. Um, when people talk about the game, they talk about the professional men's game, right? When I have conversations with my juniors, I always say, who's your favorite female player, right? My juniors now know that. Right. There's so many young girls playing and so many boys now watching women's golf. But but I don't understand why we're not seeing it more. And why is only five percent of media publications on women's sports in general? Why is that? That's just a question. Right. For people that and look, that's where I get all the heat on Twitter. Like people will write me back a thousand reasons why. Right. But none of them make any sense. Like the like. That doesn't mean make sense just because you like to watch men's. Okay, good for you. I'm glad you watch men's sports, but I watch men's sports and women's sports. And some of these are from women. Like women need to watch women's sports. This isn't all on men, right? We all we all just need to participate in it. And so I think when you ask me what is that all about, you know, it's about making sure that the next generation has it better than we had, right? The next generation doesn't have to fight so hard. And I'm here to tell you in golf, women have to fight really hard. And there is space for women and there is space for junior girls in golf. We shouldn't have to fight this hard. I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. I, I want to go through a wall for you and for everybody <laughs> behind you. I, I'm just like, I just, I really, wow. I had done enough things at Golf Channel at the, at the golf industry show in which I realized there was an, a crisis around the agronomy of the game, getting young people to show up early, work long hours, to, to tend to the golf course itself is a is a problem. There's there's not, you know, they're closing agronomy programs. They're, they're having kids don't work that many hours for that kind of pay. They're like, I'll do something else. I'll play, you know, I'll, I'll be a gamer, whatever it is. And then I, I just wasn't aware that it also sort of related to the club pro world or the, or the PGA pro also that, young people were like, wait a minute, that many hours for that kind of pay? Uh, I like golf, but I just met somebody at my club that's now offered me to, a job in their law firm and I'm going to go back to law school. You know what I mean? Like, we got to keep good people in this industry. That's That seemed to be at the heart of kind of this matter that I was getting into, you know, when I started reporting. It was like, wow, I get that. And I didn't realize that also related to managing clubs and 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 not just managing the courses. So that was my hole in my glove. And now I've know a lot more and 
and I'll continue to learn and share what I learned. That's it. So I love it. Anything you can do to, to support the effort is great. And I appreciate the time. And uh, I, pre I, I really do. I, I think it's amazing. And the more we can educate and make aware, I mean, then we can help for some change. Yeah, and it's going to happen. And I think this, the, the good news is it's like, hey, we're in the middle of a drought, but guess what? We got a lot of rain coming. Like, you know, there is this, you know, you talked about an abysmal number as it relates to women in the in the industry at 5%. But more women, more women are playing. More girls right. are playing. Therefore, there's it's only natural to know. And then you have someone like you, and others who are in those these roles, leadership roles, uh, and have platforms that are going to continue to make sure that you know these this mentorship happens. Where it's like, hey, let me help you be who you want to be in this industry. That you need that too. You need you to get people who want to be you right to your point. So, uh, right. Right. And we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, I'm really proud of the work that's been put in. I just, it, there's, it's not enough. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Well, Godspeed Susie Whaley and uh, keep going. And, and, uh, and I, I can't wait to continue to observe and uh, report on the progress. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Well, that's it for now, at least. I've already heard from countless PGA pros and club pros around the country offering their thoughts on how and why things need to change, some more positive than others. The plan is to revisit this in a few weeks with a wrap-up podcast and another wave of voices and perspectives based on what has been said throughout this series. If you want to be one of those voices, I can be reached on my social channels or at mattjanella at gmail.com. Thanks again to Susie Whaley, Seth Waugh, Chandler Withington, Butch Harmon, Shane Ryan, Rick Riley, Brian Soule, Jack Davis, Robbins Manley, Cody Sinkler, Josh Doxeter, Kieran Canwar, Connor Evers, and Brad Sniper for their thoughts and perspectives on this industry, and to Jake Muldowney, the producer of the Fire Pit Podcast. And thanks to you for listening and for your love of the game. That, more than anything, continues to be the common denominator here. It's a sport that's easy to hate, swing to swing, but also so easy to love round to round, course to course, friend to friend, memory to memory, year to year. That seems clear. And on that note, the full fire pit anthem written and performed by Joe Horowitz, a friend and pro in the Met section who might be just as good with a guitar and mic as he is with a bag of clubs. The song, which is called The Story, was produced by Jakir King, a Grammy Award winning friend in Nashville who loves golf as much as we all do. Put another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.